Welcome to the Cap City Outfitters Podcast. This is episode 245. You've got Chris and Brian, and today we're going to talk about what we call good, better, and best, um, and kind of the why behind um, that methodology when it comes to getting gear or even choosing training, just doing stuff yeah. generally in life, um, and kind of how that, that philosophy kind of guides our, call it purchasing habits, sure, and maybe, sure. you know, investment gear investment or weapons investment um, strategies and things. Uh, yeah, so we're just gonna get into it. Yeah, and one of the things around that's just simply the value proposition. Um, you know, when you look, when you guys look at training and, and I, you know, and I don't wanna, and I'm definitely not, I'm not in a place to throw anybody under the bus as far as trainers go. But when you look at like training, what you pay for out there, um, you can pay a fair amount of money. You can pay 200, $250 a day to go train with somebody who probably is not a very good trainer they might have a great resume they might have a for real cool guy background you know might have been uh xyz unit uh ranger bat whatever dude and they might be super squared away and able to do god's work on their own um but maybe they're not a great communicator you know and we've always kind of joked if you had a choice to take a class between a class from a navy seal and a class from a green beret and you don't know enough about either one of them, I'm always gonna to default to the Green Beret because Green Berets are built as force multipliers. They're built to go out and turn other people into soldiers, into partisans and fighters uh, and whatnot. And so as a result, those guys are trained to train people versus Navy SEALs are, you know, maybe they're trained to that extent in some play too, but in general, they're trained to kill people and break shit. And do hair care products. And do hair care products, workout videos and otherwise. Um, and stupid heavy ARs because you know heavy guns are cool hey like, quit picking on me yeah <laughs> you took that personally didn't you um so yeah so talking about the good better best you know we talk about in the shop i'll let you know one of the founding philosophies of the store was that we want to let i'll let somebody else do good good is what walmart's for good is what cabela's is for and not that they don't sell better and best but we chose as as a size store and kind of our niche is to do better and best so as an example, our entry-level AR is going to be something like a Colt um, or a uh, FN mil-spec gun or maybe one of the higher-end Smith & Wesson mil-spec guns. That's our entry-level gun, not, not Anderson's, not Double Star, not Delton's, not uh, you know, some of the uh, guns that are out there that are, question yeah, that are questionable right out of the box. Um, and, and that can be... Bear in mind, good or not good, substandard can be from a reputable brand. Um, there are some quirks with guns like Smith and Wesson MP Sport Twos that you know that kind of something that's pushed us away from them. Uh, you know things like uh, gas blocks that aren't properly affixed to the weapon, that you know rock sets not used, uh, castle nuts not properly staked, and stuff like that. Uh, same thing with like Rugers and stuff like that. Ran into a lot of early with Ruger ARs. Ruger's a great brand name. We're big Ruger fans. Uh, but like Ruger should not make semi-auto centerfire rifles. Um, they're just not very good at it, whether it's a Mini or whether it's one of the Ruger ARs, pinholes walking out and the Rugerification of the gun, all the weird hardware that they put on um, so that it's theirs, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. But there's some of that stuff that we avoid um, and it can still be a brand name and not necessarily be a good product, uh, much less a better or best product. So, um, so, you know, as you're looking at the value proposition for this too, uh, I'm going to kind of lead off with the value proposition because it's generic and goes across the board in, in, in this, we're probably going to do a couple podcasts on this because this is a pretty big topic. So we'll throw out some examples as we go, but the, the value proposition conversation, 
Um, we talk a lot about, and I'm going to use a vehicle as an example rather than rather than guns or something like that. Um, you can buy a 300 horsepower new Honda Civic that is stupid fast, has really good suspension, um, generates power in a way that makes it very, very usable, very, very drivable. Um, you can go out and like spend five times more money to get, uh, you know, it, it's, it's that proposition where you got to spend a whole lot more money to get maybe double the performance or something like that. Five times more money to get double the performance. Yeah. Or maybe you go spend double the money to only get a five or 10% increase in performance. So there's a value proposition out there to look at certain tools and say, is XYZ good enough quality? Is it durable enough? Is it functional enough? Does it have proper switching, switchology, functionality, etc.? cetera? Um, is it set up to work the way I need it to work? Is it gonna be durable enough to work when I need it to work? And is it gonna realistically do what I need it to do? And then to look at the next step up in performance and say, wow, that could potentially be a, a I could double what I'm spending or spend 50% more to get a 5 or 10% increase in performance. So we talk a lot about the value proposition of, of products and stuff like that and what you're getting out of it. And, and sometimes that doesn't even fall necessarily with the performance of the product, but sometimes it's also the things around it. So starting off, let's start off with pistols. Yeah, I'm going to throw out a great example. What I think is a great example uh, for good, better, best. Um, good guns. Taurus has probably made some good guns. Taurus probably has a couple guns out there on the market right now. And what immediately comes to mind from a trainer perspective, they do a little 22 caliber gun that has like a 20 or 25 round mag. It's actually fairly feed reliable. It's a good price point. It's a good enough gun that it's actually hard to find still, and it's been out for a couple years. Yeah. Um, and if you're looking for a 22 trainer, that's probably a good little gun. Um, so a lot of the stuff Taurus does, we don't sell Taurus because we get tired of returning them. Um, that was something that in my 20 years history in this industry, um, I was forced because of the guys I worked for previously. Well, you know, well, even, even people who don't have a lot of money need a gun. That's what high points are for. But we didn't sell high points, but we'd sell a Taurus. And at some point, you look at how much it costs the business as a value proposition to send them back on a regular basis when they don't work out of the box or have problems in the first couple hundred rounds. Yeah. There are a lot of people who will never get that far. They buy the gun as a magic rabbit's foot. They don't ever shoot it. Maybe they go run a box of ammo through it, and they never find that 155-round problem because they don't ever get that far with it. Um, you know, that's substandard. Good might be something like, you know, that kind of Taurus thing. Better might be something like a Canic. The Canic guns have proven themselves as reliable quality guns, but what puts them in the better category rather than the best category is support around the gun. Holsters are still difficult to find for them. Getting aftermarket magazine or getting magazines for the Canics is very, very tough. Uh, my guess is that a lot of those guns and a lot of the ancillary things that go with them are going other places, whether that's Israel, the West Bank, or Ukraine yeah. or wherever I don't know you know there's a couple hot spots on the planet right now that stuff you know stuff like that maybe that's where those mags are going I, I don't know but I do know that Century Arms isn't importing very many of them because they're super super hard to get for those guns so it takes a gun that is very reliable very well made a quality weapon but puts it at it stops it at that better level maybe even at that good, good maybe. level yeah, I mean, yeah. They, I mean, they, like I said, there's a lot of guys who run, but if you do break apart, and let's face it, it's made by man, so it can break. So you're in that position where if you need parts, if you're trying to get stuff, um, you know, yeah, warranty service out of Century, I don't know what that looks like on the Canics. I've never had to use it. 
Um, and it's a testament to the gun. I don't really know anybody else's how to use it, but I know that I can find Glock parts. I know I can go online and Google, especially like Gen 3 Glock parts are tough to get, but if you're patient, you can find them. Gen 4s, maybe. Gen 5s, for sure, they're out there. So getting those parts is not a real big deal, and that's what pushes something like a Glock or an H&K or a Sig Sauer gun into that best category is that it's also, not only is it very good quality, but it is also in common usage, so you're going to be able to find the support part of it and the things around it, not just the tool. So yeah. to talk about it in isolation, say, well, this is the best gun ever, but they haven't made it in third, uh, HK P7M8, brilliant gun, just don't break it. Or shoot more than two mags through it. Yeah, because it gets hot. Rapidity. Yeah, she, she, gets, she gets hot. Um, but the but brilliant, brilliant weapon, brilliant design, dated by today's standards but super cool super interesting um but it falls in that category of how am i going to maintain it how am i going to service it how am i going to keep it up and running and if i'm training with it a lot it's got some quirks which knock it out of that it's not best it's just really damn cool yeah something you can't train with because of a failure in the design takes it out of the best category and relegates it to the very cool category so now we're back to cars the hottest car in the world can you keep it on the road and keep it drivable for a realistic amount of money that's where it gets weird yeah. right yeah. yeah so yeah so that's the good better best thing um and then the value proposition you know there uh I, I so let's talk about the value proposition around pistols let's talk about a different still a brilliant weapon the staccato the staccato is a yeah. super super touchy subject um here in the store you know we, we give we give a, we got a, an employee or two who owns staccatos and we give them a little bit of grief about it. The reality check is um, between employees and close friends who own Staccatos, um, we've got one of our buddies who's really fond of saying, um, I'm as good a shooter as XYZ. I'm tired of getting beat by them because they got a faster car. So that person goes and buys yeah. a Staccato. And if you're somebody who's legitimately pulling, you know, sub, sub 2.0 splits on a regular basis and hitting your target pretty consistently and doing all the things you should be doing, doing your dry fire, taking your training, going having Jed Linsky or some other guy, a Joel Park or a Stager or somebody like that at a very, very high level, teach you how to run the gun faster and you've invested in yourself, your skills, etc. And, and maybe you haven't maxed out the Glock, but you're at a place where a little bit faster car makes a difference. The value proposition then becomes is, is a, is a $2,500 staccato, five times more than a $500 Glock worth it. And that becomes where it becomes a personal opinion kind of thing. I think you can run the staccato faster. The trigger yeah, makes the it trigger. easier. The trigger makes all the difference in the world. Yeah. And to some extent, the ergonomics of the gun too. Um, but, but in general, but then there are some complications that I think, for me personally, take away from that value proposition. I look at a staccato as five Glocks. Yeah. I could buy five, or I could buy two Glocks, a couple cases of ammo, and go take some classes and maybe get better. Um, when you're that person who's at a certain skill level where you're saying, okay, I want the faster car, maybe I'm getting beat by the guy with the faster car. What has been our experience is that we see a lot of guys make that investment, but then eventually come back around to, eh, it's, it's a little bit faster, but is it that much faster? And then do the quirks of it or the expense of buying $80, $100 mags, um, you know, and the holsters are out there, but they're spendy too things of that nature is is the value proposition in spending five times more money on the gun really a value proposition at that point for most yeah. folks and in general it seems to be not does that make sense 
Yeah, a lot of it, you know, it's really easy to go chase something really expensive to gain performance in one area. Yeah. Uh, so to, to pick on the staccato again, like, yeah, you can run the trigger really fast. Yeah. Uh, but if your target-to-target target transitions aren't good and your yeah. ground game, meaning how you, how move. you move from place to place yeah. how you move. Uh, is highly suboptimal, you know, gaining 0.4 seconds um, in splits on a drill or on a stage yeah. doesn't matter when you're five seconds slower moving from position to position. And, and, and maybe that <laughs> maybe that differential, that $2,000, would have been better spent to go join a gym and hire a trainer, right? Yeah. I mean, and have somebody who's going to work on plyometrics, explosive movement, strength training, et cetera, or and get you faster feet. Go, go train with the guys that know how to make the footwork for that too. shooting sports work. Efficient. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, you know, that's that's what we're talking about when we talk about good, better, best, and value propositions. I think that puts a pretty sharp point on it. Um, and, again, it's not to pick on any one gun or another. We would have been having the same conversation around a high-end Wilson Combat gun five years ago and and what, and probably a high-end Wilson Combat or an Ed Brown or something like that 25 years ago. Or even today, you know, a Zev Glock or an Agency Glock yeah. or a – yeah. You know, I don't. What's the whatever, latest and greatest? Whatever the coolest Gucci, yeah. Whatever the coolest yeah. Gucci is, and again, that's not to pick on those brands, um, and that's not to pick on the guys that own them. Um, there are dudes out there who pay millions of dollars to put, you know, a, a, a piece of canvas on the wall with with somebody doodling on it, um, you know, and it's art and it's worth money to you. It's what you find interesting. Okay, cool, but but don't conflate that with maybe giving you better skills or better capability if because that's on you. And if you're actually at that level where the gun comes to matter, a really good shooter is going to shoot most guns really well anyway. Um, you know, but at some point, the vast majority of guns out there are all as reliable and as accurate as one next to the next to the next to the next kind of thing. And so if you're trying to buy performance, um, you know, you might look at increasing human performance rather than the tools that you're using and go from there. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, any anything else on handguns? I mean, like I said, we could stretch this out into probably four or five podcasts on its own with handguns. But yeah. does that make the point? Yeah, one of the other kind of big differentiators, I think, between good, um, better, and best. Once you get into the better and the best categories, mm -hmm. one, I think the manufacturers are going to be there for a really long time. True. And your ability to get support, be that in parts. Mm -hmm. um, if in the really odd chance he needed warranty service, it's going to be there. Yeah. Um, and again, we're looking at buying products that we need them for when our emergency happens. Yeah. Um, so having them go down really isn't like if that happens now. Now we're really in a bad place. Yeah. Um, so warranty, you know, if warranty service is transferable to next to kin, um, then <laughs> warranty service is kind of relevant. <laughs> Otherwise, when I'm buying, I love that saying. Buying stuff in the, you know, in the better and best category, warranty service is really low on what I'm looking for. Yeah. Because um, I'm looking for products that I don't ever have to use the warranty. Yeah. Um, and then the other, to me, the other thing is, you know, if to, I'm just gonna go look at Porsche. Yeah. Uh, a 911 is still a 911. Yeah. Um, you know, if we look at a Glock, a Glock is still a Glock. Yeah. Um, I can take, you know, a Gen 5 gun and a Gen 3 gun. I can put them side by side. Uh, if I've got Gen 5 holsters, 
I can still run my Gen 3 guns and my Gen 5 holsters. Yeah, for the most part. Uh, for yeah. the most part. Yeah. Depending on the design of the holster, uh, there's a decent chance I may be able to run a Gen 5 gun and a Gen 3 holster, or maybe just have to do a little bit of modification yeah. to it. Something minor. Around the slide release. Uh, you know, mag pouches are still yep. functional. Uh, so you get a lot more, call it ancillary value or system, system-wide value. Yes. Um, just that the total like long-term return on investment really starts to add up um, and we don't have you know we, we get into the better and best products it's not a manufacturer having to chase a new like blinged out sparkly thing every year to make money yep uh, they know that what they have initially is a good product yeah uh, and they're willing to stand behind it uh, there's a Certain manufacturer in New Hampshire that I don't think has quite figured that out. Well, well, they um, they had it figured out yeah. until until new leadership until they didn't. You know, twenty years ago, and you know the same guys that crumbled Kimber, but yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So yeah, that's and again, that's the value proposition. That's good, better, best, and kind of, kind of how we break it down as an example for handguns. Do we want to jump into rifles real quick since we're on guns? Actually, let's do shotties, because shotties are quick and easy yeah. on this. Um, most semi-automatic shotguns are shit boxes. Period. End of conversation. I use the word most. There are a few out there that are, that are kind of amazing, um, but they come from brand names that kind of sting when you start looking at price points. Yeah. Uh, Beretta and Benelli um, in the M4 line for the, for the Benelli and in the 1301 line for the Beretta. Maybe the A300 as it comes up, we'll see, because it's a relatively, it's not a new action, but it's a new gun. Um, and there's always quirks, you know, with anything like that. Uh, but Benelli M4s, and then even going back, early Benelli, Benelli M2s, um, and some of the, like, HK uh, 1200s and stuff like that, that were all Benelli Beretta made. They're all under the same roof now. Uh, Benelli and Beretta are all coming out yeah. of the same factory. or this Well, same ownership and largely the same factory. Um, when you get into that level of semi-auto shotgun, they're, they're very reliable, they're very robust, they're very durable, uh, they're super interesting, they're fun to shoot, and semi-autos have less recoil, they're faster, everything about them is good. Um, so we talk about good, better, best. The semi-auto shotguns, if you want a best semi-auto shotgun, you're probably in that 1600 or more dollar range to get $1,500, $1,600 or more to get a best one. There are a couple out there that hit the better range if you maintain them properly and know what you're getting into um, that are going to fall in that, you know, that $1,000 to $1,500 range. Then the A300 Patrol may be one of those as we, as we get going. We'll see if Mossberg can get their heads wrapped around a long-term durable semi-auto shotgun. The 930s and 940s um, are, are good for somebody who's going to take the time to maintain them and knows what's going to break and maybe has spare parts on hand. But it seems to be that there, if high round counts, you lose that a little bit. Um, and then if you get into good, when you drop below that certain price point, you, maybe you're looking at uh, Remington 1100s and stuff like that that were really built for the hunting field. They were built, you know, uh, 50 or 100 rounds in a day, maybe a couple hundred rounds in a day. Uh, but you're not going to run them really hard without keeping them maintained. And you have some wear parts that wear very quickly, uh, like some of the silicone rings and stuff like that and the gas system and whatnot. They just need to be aware of. But that is what, and then just reliability with all kinds of ammo. Can you run everything through it? And that's what takes us back around to making a Benelli or a Beretta in the right trim, uh, probably the best option. 
Um, within shotguns, if you step down in price point dramatically to a pump shotgun and you look at like a, a Remington 870, um, especially the older guns, um, when I say yeah. older, I mean 12 plus, 10 plus, 12 plus years ago, uh, and maybe what they're making today, we're hearing a lot of good about current Remington 870s, and by current, I mean last probably 18 to 24 months production since Rim Arms has come out of bankruptcy under Freedom Group. Um, and so maybe that's a conversation. And then the Mossberg 590s, 590A1s, and even the 500s have been very robust, reliable guns. So there might be a conversation that puts a $500 870 or a $500 590 way ahead of a $1,000 semi-auto gun from, from a number of manufacturers because it's significantly more functionally reliable. So in that good, better, best proposition, that gun falls back into maybe a better or even a best yeah. option simply because of reliability and then also because they've been on the market forever there's a robust aftermarket um, getting things to fit tactical attachments slings lights etc to those guns good sights on those guns is significantly easier than almost anything else on the market yeah so you know if you are one of those guys who plays around with with um great big loud kicky heavy don't hold much ammo -y kind of things like shotguns you know that's how we look at that that conversation there is a value proposition to spend you know the money if you're going semi-auto there's definitely a value proposition to spend that extra five six seven hundred dollars and go to a higher end gun um but then the value proposition going from a pump gun to a good semi-auto gun i don't know if it's there i don't know how much you're going to use it how you envision employing it etc and if it's not something you're going to train with um, and really learn how to make it go fast and take advantage of all those things then I would say, you know, stick with a pump gun and you're good You're good with better without spending a lot yeah. of money to go to best. Um, you know, look at it from that perspective. So, yeah. Yeah, I think for shotguns, you know, really, if you take an, you take an 870 and put the investment in time yeah. and ammo, um, you're going to be way better off than somebody who's got a super blinged out semi-auto gun. As a defensive tool. As a defensive tool. Yeah, and shoots absolutely. it, you know, once a year. Yes. Um, yeah, shotguns, the event, like the the cost on shotguns is in time. Yeah. Um, especially learn how to load them. Yeah. Uh, if you got to do modifications to making them easier to load um, without compromising reliability or yes. durability, um, that gets spendy. That can get spendy. Yeah. Yeah, really quickly. Um, yeah, shotguns. Why are we talking about shotguns anyway? I know, I know, because there's the, just the three people out there listening who want to know. Yeah, you know. and then so the so to take this in a slightly different direction. Yeah. Uh, let's look at the sporting side of shotguns because maybe yeah. this is where. Yes. This it's really easy to illustrate this principle. Mm -hmm. uh, you can go. You can take a you know a Remington eight seventy um, with a twenty eight inch bird barrel. Yeah. Uh, put chokes in it. Go mm -hmm. take it out. Shoot. Um, especially like ATA trap, mm -hmm. um, pretty well. Uh, if you know where the gun patterns, where it hits, yeah. Uh, especially on singles, you're gonna do well. Yeah. Um, have a good recoil pad on the gun. Yes. And yes. on your vest, because um, the gun will beat you up. Yep. Uh, but there's no absolutely no reason you can get national level, uh, provided your shoulder holds together. Yeah. Um, with that setup, with enough ammo and enough training time. Yeah. Um, versus you know, going from there to maybe like a CZ semi-auto gun or one of their over-under guns, mm -hmm. um, 
you know, we're going from a what a five hundred dollar gun to like an eight hundred to twelve hundred dollar yeah. gun. Yeah. Something like that. Uh, again, a little bit, a little bit nicer gun, maybe nicer looking gun. Uh, with the semi-auto gun from CZ, the action is going to help save your shoulder. Mm-hmm. Uh, you still have a lot of money left over for ammo for range time. Yeah. Uh, all that again, easy to get. Probably national level um, in trap. Um, doing, you know, and now we're into doubles because we got either an over under mm-hmm. or we've got a semi auto gun. Um, and we, and then to jump, we're looking at going from there to what, like two, three grand? Well, yeah, it, go, it goes go crazy. Yeah, yeah, it goes crazy. There are, there, you know, there are definitely some options in, in that Beretta and CZ uh, and Vanelli market that are sub $1,500 guns. Yes. They're great guns that you can run all day long and beat the snot out and, of. And but, run 20, 30,000 rounds yes. a year through. Yeah, but to make the jump to a comp gun or something like that, when you get into like Parazzi's or Kriegoff's and stuff like that, now all of a sudden you're, I, I, I'm my, and I'm, that's that's not my world, but yeah. my understanding we're, we're is- We're talking car money for yeah, those you, of yeah, you not you're, familiar with shotguns. Yeah, you're looking at eight or 10 grand at a, at a starting point and then going from there, I mean, we've transferred through custom-made trap guns, and I can't even think of the brand name, but I mean, it's a $52,000 trap gun um, that a guy had custom-made, um, you know, and, and, and that, that's a thing. People do that. Um, and, and again, that's not an area where I can talk to you about why the performance, you know, going from a $500 gun to a $1,000 gun, I can articulate that a little bit, going from a $1,000 gun to maybe a two or $3,000 gun, maybe we can talk about that, but going to a twenty, thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollar gun is a, is a lot of because I can, um, or or maybe there's other reasons I just can't. I just don't yeah. know what they are. It's not it's not my world. So yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Bringing that that kind of thing back to like the world where we live. Yeah. Um, you know, having the good gun yeah. or the better gun, or maybe the, like just getting into the best gun. Yeah. And then spending a lot of time training, and on ammo, yeah. um, will definitely let you outperform somebody who simply owns the really super fancy absolutely yeah and does not use it yeah absolutely I, I think you could probably i think you could probably go to any of the trap tournaments any trap tournament around the country and and watch some dude with grandpa's bt99 that got passed down um smoke some dude with a thirty thousand dollar gun or um junior who's really good good eyes good reactions with like you said that 870 um, smoke the dude next to him with a twenty, thirty thousand dollar gun, just because he's flat out better, and it, and and maybe invested the time, but maybe it's just younger eyes, better reflexes, yeah. etc., and just has it, you know. And the other thing too is, you know, you you'd like to think that if you're going to buy that twenty thousand dollar gun, that it's going to be made for you, versus the kid who's tall that the eight seventy happens to fit. Um, you know, I had an epiphany as a very young guy. Um, you know, I, I, I won an over-under shotgun um, in, in basically in a poker match, and it fit me um, because the guy that it was made for was short and stocky like me, um, and it just happened to fit me, and it's like, wow, I shoot this really, really well, um, and there's a significant differential in the ability to hit things, even over the gun I was used to shooting and carrying forever, and I do think that, you know, that's part of the conversation too. You know, so maybe that's part of it, but I mean, you can buy a decent quality gun and go to Black Wing and spend four hundred dollars and have them fit the gun to you perfectly. Maybe you just spend as much on fitting it as you did on the gun, but that might make a hell of a lot bigger difference from a value proposition yeah. standpoint than spending ten grand on something that doesn't fit you secondhand because it wasn't made for you. Yeah. So that's the value proposition. You know, where is it? Where does it lie? 
Um, where's the where's the point of diminishing returns? And then why are you just buying something because it's sexy and looks cool? Well, that's that's a different conversation. No big deal. Yep. That's cool too. That's we're back to art now. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So, yeah, shotguns. Man, that's a lot of words for shotguns. We just spent a lot of time on shotguns. We did. I, we I probably think, won't spend that many words for the rest of the year on shotguns. I'm pretty sure that we should we should end the podcast there because I feel dirty now. I feel like I need to go take a bath or a shower or something um, after talking about shotguns for that long. I got to go wash it off. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyways, <laughs> this is probably the first in a multi-episode series on um, good, better, and best. Kind of see Unless how we, we see it. Yeah, on different things. So. <laughs> I would expect one of these on rifles and then one on lights and other accessories and things coming up sometime yeah. in the near future. Uh, but do kind of give this idea, you know, some thinking when you're when it does come time to invest in guns, accessories, um, all that kind of stuff. You know, starting to think about things like return on investment, yeah. um, how the whatever it is you're getting fits into your overall system. Um, you know, whether that means you have to change your entire system, uh, you know, whether the new thing integrates into, um, the new into your existing system or, you know, is able to integrate into the existing system with just a little bit of changes. Um, all those things start to matter pretty quick. Yeah. Yeah. There's some calculus there. So, well, more difficult calculus beyond just one more gun. Yeah. So, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, on that note, as we come across interesting things, we do try to get them posted up to our social media. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram. On Facebook, we're Cap City Outfitters. On Instagram, we are Cap City Outfitters too. On our website, CapCityOutfitters.com, you can find information such as how to do an FFL transfer or how to purchase a suppressor via our storefront over at SilencerShop.com. Also on the website, you can sign up for our email newsletter that comes out once a week on Fridays or send us an email to info at capcityoutfitters.com and we will add you to the newsletter list. And then we're here in Hilliard, Ohio. We're at 4465 Cemetery Road. We are in front of the Aldi's and we're directly next to Louis Fusion Drill. Uh, we're here 10 to 5 Tuesday through Friday and 10 to 3 on Saturdays. And we look forward to seeing you soon. Thanks for tuning in, guys.